Welcome to one of our Christmas specials. We're going to be talking to the lovely best-selling author Liz Nugent. We have loads of crime stories, ghost stories and laughs. I hope you enjoy the show. My name's Stuart James and I'm a psychological thriller and horror author. My books include Stranded, Turn the Other Way, Apartment 6 and The House on Rectory Lane. We're talking to the wonderful Liz Nugent. Enjoy the show. writer of number one best-selling novels Unraveling Oliver 2014, Lion in Wait 2016, Skin Deep 2018 and Our Little Cruelties 2020. Her books have won multiple Irish awards and most recently Our Little Cruelties stayed in the bestsellers list for six months during the pandemic. In 2015 Liz was the inaugural winner of the Jack Hart bursary courtesy of the Irish Writers Centre and the Tyrone Guthrie Centre. In 2016, Liz was the writer-in-residence at the Princess Grace Library in Monaco. Three of her books have been optioned for screen adaptations. Liz's books have been translated into 16 languages. She was named Irish Woman of the Year in Literature in 2018. Liz has, always led, has also led workshops on writing drama for any medium, having experience of writing for film, TV and radio, including animation. Wow, what a bio. <laughs> what a bio. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Oh, thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Are you in you're in Dublin at the moment? Yes. Yeah, is that so that's it's, nice, it's nice to be here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I should have a glass of wine or something. Well, yeah, sure. come on, we'll all get we'll go, we'll get smashed. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, Dublin is. I, I absolutely love Dub Dublin. Um, just it's such a beautiful place. I've been there many, many times. Um, Temple Bar, and we've got friends in Dundrum, Milltown. We've got friends in Artane, and uh, you're in the All Island again. Uh, are we? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. I, I don't. I don't follow any sports ball, so I have no idea. Oh, it, okay, Gaelic yeah, football. Gaelic, okay. Gaelic football. Yeah, they're uh, they're going for six in a row. Oh, so, sure, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mother's county is in the final again this year, Mayo. Oh, yeah. Been, yeah, they're in it all the time, but they, they never win, unfortunately. But they never get to the final push. No. I no. Am, I'm always up for Mayo. When Mayo are up for something, I'm always up for Mayo because oh, yeah. I just feel like Dublin has, like, you know, jobs and population and, you know, cinemas and theatres and, like, loads of things. And Mayo... I, you know, it's beautiful county and the people there are so, so nice. And I just yeah. think they really deserve to win. Yeah. So even though I'm a Dubliner, I'd be up mail. Yeah, up mail. Hard hey. mail. <laughs> Absolutely. Hard <Hand> mail. <laughs> so Liz, um, I, I have to tell a story actually, because um, I know that I met your good self about two years ago. Uh, me and my daughter, do you remember? We were at a writing That's convention right. in London. At and, the first uh, Monday thing. Yes, the first Monday club, yeah. And um, I went, I went over to you and you were such a lady, uh, just just wonderful. And uh, we were chatting away for ages. We started chatting about the West of Ireland. I think you said you had relations in Balahadreen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you yeah, said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the in Balahadreen would be my dad's family, my dad's mum's family. So my grandmother's uh, would have been from um, Roscommon, Balahadreen, yeah. all that area. So yeah, yeah. lots of Lots of Newland relatives in Ballahadry. Yeah. yeah, I have as yeah, my, my uncle, uh, well, I've got loads of cousins there, but my uncle, uh, Brian Tansy, bless him, he died a few years ago, but he used to train all the um, gymnasts in Ballahadry and put them forward to the All-Ireland. 
<clears throat> and he also um, he trained the Sligo team. He was the coach for the Sligo for the Sligo team as well. And yeah, so I spent many years in Ballydreen. Absolutely loved it. That was such a great yeah. place. Great place. So you said um, we're, we're going to take a break after a few minutes, and we're going to just uh, we've got um, them five facts that you sent over. But one, of the, I mean, they're all brilliant. But um, I'm, I'm, I'll voice record them afterwards and put it into the interview. But um, you won your first, or you got your first book published at the age of nine. Well, no, I was first published. It wasn't a book. I was first published at the age of nine. Yeah. In letters page of Bunty. Bunty comic. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. And I was so excited and like nothing like it was the most exciting thing to happen in, in a nine year old's life. Yeah. And um, oh, I yeah. Was, so excited on, on publication day, like I like the, the news agent knew to set it aside for me because they had told him all about it. And so coming up to publication day, I was like counting down the days, couldn't wait. So on the day it was published, I ran down to the shop to um, get my copy and I fell over and broke my arm oh, and no. ended up oh, no. in hospital. So I didn't actually get the get the, the get the comic until I think four or five days later. Oh, oh no! no. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tragic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and Liz, what was it? Was it a, a story that you had published in Bunty? No, it was it was it was the for the letters page, and actually, right, yeah. I don't think I'd written it. I I can't remember, and I don't have a copy of it now. But I think I'd actually drawn the picture. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I'd even written anything. Oh my so, god. Fancy going so down the I would say I was first published, but I don't think I actually wrote anything. I think it was <laughs> drew a picture and they published it. Wow. That's incredible. And um I'm right in saying that you worked in films as well in TV in Ireland. Yeah, I worked I worked not so much in film, but more in TV. Um I wrote stuff for radio. Um, I wrote an animation series for TV, I wrote um, a drama, a couple of dramas for TV, and I worked on a soap opera for 10 years, which wow. is kind of our equivalent of EastEnders, which is, yeah. you know, four and a half hours a week. So that was tough. That was really tough. Hang on, you worked on Fair City? I did, for 10 years. I'm going to tell my nan that. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Oh my god. Definitely she watches it. That's great. Wow. And you also, um, you worked uh, on, on Riverdance, is that right? You, you... Yes, I was a stage manager, uh, production manager on Riverdance for, for nearly three years. Went travelled all over the world. Oh um, my we did we did two years of um, America and Canada, like but there was three Riverdance shows going out on tour at that time. So one was doing the big stadiums, one at like arenas, and one was doing the very big stages. And we were the C team. So we were doing the really <laughs> small towns like Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Greenville, South Carolina. And, you know, the really small, the smaller yeah. theatres, I suppose. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was an eye opener to America, like yeah. 
there's nothing you can say about America that's true of all America because it's so vast. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's like Europe. You can't you can't say, oh well, the Greeks are the same as the English, or you know, the Scottish are the same as the Italians. Well, they're, they're pretty similar, but they, I don't. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's um, it's such a vast country and mm. has such vast differences in, in landscape and you know I, I can actually understand why Trump was elected <laughs> yeah. I'm happy about it but I can understand it have you guys been to America Chloe and Zoe I've only ever been to Florida That's it. Yeah. Oh, oh only and Tampa <laughs> I've been Tampa to Florida Bay. and Tampa yeah, America's an incredible country and they, you know, I can just imagine when Liz, when you went there with River Dance, that they must have pulled the place down because the Americans absolutely adore Ireland, don't they, and everything Irish. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the story goes that the Irish built America, Irish immigrants, but yeah. also, you know, um, you know, slaves <laughs> yeah. were there first, so they did most of the building. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the Irish um, arrived during the famine, I suppose, in the mid-19th century. And um, uh, around about 18, the 1840s to the 1850s, there was massive, mass immigration. Mm-hmm. And I think Ireland lost, through the famine and through immigration, Ireland lost three quarters of its population. Yeah. Like I think there was, I think the population was eight million, and when I was growing up, it was three million, and now we're up to about four and a half in the republic. Yeah. So you know, like famine. You know, we still haven't recovered from the famine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My sister actually lived in Dingle for about fifteen years. Bless her. She died a couple of years ago, but she oh, lived in sorry. Dingle, and oh, no, it's it's fine. It's, she was my soulmate my best friend and uh, yeah she died of brain cancer um but she lived in dingle for um for 15 years and yeah she she just she loved it and all the americans used to come over they used to flock over like in the summer and when we used to go over there it was like dublin there'd be music live music in the bars every single night and you know just just the the trad sessions and that's what i was brought up on i used to play the tin whistle the wooden flute uh the guitar i sang in an irish band for about 20 years and um just going to Dingle, you, you're guaranteed day or night, there's a big session in every single pub, you know, around the tables. And it was just phenomenal. I just love Yeah, it. Dingle, Dingle is a very, very special part of the world. It's, yeah. um, it's not like anywhere else. Yeah. And it's stunningly beautiful. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come back with some questions. And we have the uh, wonderful Liz Nugent. We'll be back in a few minutes. Here are five facts about our guest Liz Nugent. She took a flying lesson in Ottawa in 1999. In 2002 she got a call from US Homeland Security to prove she was who she said she was and to rule her out of being a 9-11 suspect. She was first published at the age of nine when her letter got printed in Bunty. She won a £1.50 postal order. Running to the shop to buy the comic with her published letter inside she fell over and broke her arm. 
She was really badly behaved in school. The only reason she wasn't expelled was because the nuns felt sorry for her mum, who had been left by her father in a public way. In those days, nobody's parents were separated and divorce was illegal. She used to work as a stage manager on Riverdance and travelled around the world with it. She met her husband on Broadway and saved up enough money to buy a house. As a stage manager in regular theatre, she worked with many celebrities, including Marion Faithful, Amanda Redman, John Hurt, and she also met Brian Cox and Alan Rickman. She had dinner with Neil Diamond twice. That's five facts about our guest, Liz Nugent. A suburban council house in Enfield, North London, was the location of a paranormal mystery from 1977 to 1979. Between that time, 11-year-old Janet Hodgson was frequently possessed by the spirit of an elderly male. Peggy, Janet's mother, was irritated by the regular sounds coming from the rooms upstairs, but when she went up to investigate, she apparently came across a chest of drawers that was moving by itself. According to Janet, the supernatural activity progressed to a point where objects were thrown around rooms and her and her sister were levitating in the air. Janet then began speaking in the voice of Bill Wilkins, the previous homeowner, using obscene language and telling the story of how he came to his death. A BBC crew attempted to film the paranormal events but discovered their equipment had been damaged thanks to an unexplainable electric fault. In February 2000, Catherine Knight stabbed her then-partner John Charles Thomas Price at least 37 times after Price revealed his reluctance to divorce his ex-wife. After killing Price, Knight, who was obsessed with knives, used her skills as an abattoir worker to peel all his skin off in one piece. She left the skin hanging on a meat hook inside the living room. Soon after, Knight removed his head and cooked part of his buttocks with pumpkin, baked potato, zucchini, beetroot, yellow squash and cabbage, then served a dish with some gravy. When police arrived at the home, two plates containing the dead man's remains were on the dining room table. Knight wanted to serve her partner's filleted remains to his two adult children. Australia's Supreme Court sentenced Knight to Silverwater Women's Correctional Centre marking the country's first life without parole verdict for a female prisoner. Okay, we're back with the lovely Liz Nugent. So um, the first question that's been sent in for us, Liz, is where do you get your ideas when you're writing? Oh, anywhere and everywhere. I mean, um, it depends depends on the book. Like, Unraveling Oliver, was um about a, a sociopath and i was working for one at the time <laughs> so um how about i mean we've all worked for sociopaths i think at one stage or another <laughs> have they, you always they, lived they, in dublin uh no i lived in london for a couple of years and as i said i traveled um with riverdance all all over the world for two and a half years oh, yeah. so um yeah i have to uh, get there in actually do you know why dublin is so big why because it keeps dublin and dublin Another tumbleweed, Jay. They just they, they never get better. <laughs> I will never no, be the brown and sticky one. <laughs> so, I, 
inspiration question yeah so so yeah i was working for a sociopath at the time so i thought hmm might you know i i, I kind of but then you know i i i wrote the first chapter sort of from the outside yeah. um and then and then i wanted to examine his interior life and what what made him a sociopath and that then that then became the kind of the not that I necessarily have a formula, but in each of the books, I deal with uh, very damaged, very flawed characters, but I try to explain in each one why yeah. they are flawed and why they are damaged. Uh, with Lying in Wait, it was a very specific thing. Uh, a, a, a man told me that he thought his, his long dead father might have murdered somebody. Wow. But he never, he never knew and he never found out. And I just thought, that wouldn't that be interesting? to wonder all your life if your father had been a murderer and never to know and to you know for him to go to he was always afraid to confront his father or ask him the question even on his deathbed and i I just kind of thought i wonder what it'd be like to 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 wonder so that's how that book started it's like it's, it's i think that's the second chapter the second chapter was originally the first chapter is a, a boy discovering or suspecting that that his father has murdered somebody yeah. and wondering right. what happened but in fact the truth is very different uh, and then yeah in skin deep was uh influenced by a song by the divine comedy Mm-hmm. Um, called Lady of a Certain Age. And if you just listen to the lyrics of that song, y- you will understand where Skin Deep came from. And this one, Our Little Cruelties, I think because I had written three books about very solitary characters who, you know, whether by choice or by accident, end up more or less growing up as only children without siblings and I decided I would it was time I examined a family dynamic so um of course me being me I had to make them all like hate each other (laughs) and have so many reasons to betray each other so that at the end of the book uh, well at the beginning of the book you know that one of them is dead and that one of them has killed the dead one but you don't know which one is dead and which one is the murderer until you get to the end. Yeah. So, um, and that was also influenced by a song, um, Stars by Janice Ian, but particularly by the performance of it by Nina Simone at the Montreux Jazz Festival. So YouTube that afterwards as well. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I have one. Um, do you hide any secret messages or jokes in your books that only a few people would understand? Uh, yes. Um, yes, I do. Yeah, I can't say because no point explaining to them because there's such inner jokes that nobody would get them. But yeah, there are certain incidents and events. Um, that happen in the books that reflect things that might have happened in real life. But they're all just small, fun things. But they might be in the middle of a really horrific chapter. But they also might be, you know, part of a, a fun a fun chapter. 
like um love that <laughs> like uh for example the in um in our little cruelties in the most recent one there is um there there the three brothers are desperate well the two older brothers certainly are desperate to see trading places because they want to see Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs <laughs> which was like <laughs> featured in this film and being like 14 15 uh, I think the oldest was 15 at the time they are desperate to get in to see this film and it all goes horribly wrong two of them get in the youngest one doesn't, but I, I won't ruin what happens, but only one of them gets to see the boobs. <laughs> and one of, them, one of them gets to see boobs he shouldn't see. So um, it's very, you have to read it to <laughs> But Jamie Lee Carson's boobs play a significant role in the book. Love that idea. <laughs> that's brilliant. What a classic film as well. That's, that's, taken, that's, that's taken from real life. You know, when you look at trading places now, it's really dodgy. Like yeah. the use of the N-word. And, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't pass muster now. You know, yeah. it wouldn't. Yeah, I want to know what's the funniest typo you've ever written? Oh, there was one. What was it? Um, she hoped her husband would forgive her. <laughs> and I wrote, she hoped her editor would forgive her. <laughs> <laughs> it's like totally Freudian. And I, I didn't even notice it until I was doing like the final pass. And I was like, how did that get in there? Oh, and then there was, there, was, there was other ones like, um, like, uh, you know, like, when I'm really hungry, I just start putting like the names of food <laughs> into the book. Random, random, you know, words start appearing like chocolate or bananas or, you know, so I have to be careful when I eat so that I, before I sit down to write, otherwise random foodstuffs might just appear. <laughs> Does that happen the other way round? When you're describing something in character each, you have to then go and make it? Um, well, actually, on the, the first book, Unraveling Oliver, was very foodie. And at one stage, um, I was going to put in kind of recipes, but my editor, who was quite right, said, like, that's just such a, you know, a fad and a, a bit of a... You know, it's a, it's, it's a thing and it turns it into a different kind of a book. It doesn't, it won't, like, we want to sell you as a psychological thriller. Well, mm. I don't know what they did. They, they didn't know what it was in the beginning, actually. Um, I didn't know what it was. It was just a book that I had in me. So, because I didn't pick the genre. So it kind of chose me. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's lots of food and there's a chef who is a character in Unraveling Oliver, who's a chef. So there are lots of food references and lots of stuff happening in the south of France where, you know, Irish people discover, Irish people in the south of France in 1974 discovering food because, you know, Ireland um, as a culinary, was a culinary wasteland in the 1970s. It was like, pork chops and potatoes and frozen peas. 
for dinner. Did you, ever go, did you ever have to cut the turf? No. No, I always lived in the city. <laughs> that's more of a, a country thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> call yeah. Them, it, yeah, the country sidebar. Every, every time I went to Ireland, I had to go. You must have done that, Chloe, when you go to Mayo, having to go and cut the turf. No, we used to, um, we used to go out to my great uncle's and um, he used to have all the hay bales. So we used oh, to go yes. and hide at the, the top sheds. of the hay bales. Yeah, oh, man, that. that was fun. <laughs> And smoking that, yeah. where we weren't supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> smoking on the hay bale. That's a, you know, health and safety issue right there. <laughs> oh, yes, big time, yeah. They used to be an abandoned house. Hide, and then we used to move one in front of us as well. <laughs> there used to be an abandoned house close to where my mum was from in, the, in a place called Cluncha, in between Ballinadreen and Charlestown. And the house was completely, it was a two-storey house didn't often get that back back then like in the countryside in, in Ireland there wasn't a lot of two it was a lot of bungalows and that yeah um, but yeah and the, and the, it was full of hay and you could just jump from the balcony all the way down into the hay and we used to just spend hours and running through the fields looking for leprechauns <laughs> and, oh I just love Lep- it so much yeah we used to be mad looking for leprechauns that was only last year when I went to Ireland <laughs> <laughs> obviously when I was a little kid but uh, don't lie, you did do it last year, didn't not, you? You probably. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last book that made you cry? What's the last book that made me cry? Yeah. Um, one of the questions that have been sent in here. Oh, I think it was one I read uh, recently um, called Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward, but it, it I think it came out in 2017. It won... I think it won a National Book Award in America, but it didn't, I, I never heard of it. I just, um, I, I don't know where I came across it. Did somebody recommend it to me or, but it is the most moving story of, you know, a black family growing up in America in, I think it's the 19, 19- 50s or 60s and it's just oh the 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 hardship and um some of some of the characters are ghosts and some of them are watching over this family and um there are children involved and they just suffer such deprivation but it's beautifully written I, i think i think jasmine ward may well take Toni Morrison's crown because it's a, it's not a dissimilar style of writing mm. and it's not a dissimilar subject matter, you know. Um, but I find that incredibly moving. Um, yeah. Oh, do you know who was who recommended it to me? It was Adrian McKinty. Oh, of The Chain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he, he, that's supposed to be fantastic, The Chain, isn't it? The chain is great, but so are all his uh, Northern Ireland set yeah. uh, Sean Duffy novels. They're amazing. His story, his story is fascinating, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing a lot of research. Uber driver too. Yeah, he gave up completely, didn't he? Just yeah. And then all of a sudden, he got this a friend introduced him to this big Hollywood producer, and bang. We got go. to we got to we got to meet last last year because we were both uh, invited to a festival in New Zealand. Yeah. So um, yeah, we got we we became quite friendly. Well, you got to meet me as well, didn't you? A couple of years I got ago. To meet you, yes, <laughs> in London. 
Um, you obviously didn't make as much as good of an impression, Stu. You absolutely did, but your daughter made a bigger impression because yeah. she was gorgeous. <laughs> no, she's beautiful. She, she goes everywhere with me. She goes everywhere with me, honestly. I just go to the shop and she'll be right, wait, Dad, I'm coming. And she'll just come down the shop and all that, just down the road. And she's so beautiful. She really is. My she's so sweet. But I, I remember, actually, I have to say this, that um, I got your book, Skin Deep, absolutely loved it. But do you remember the story with Hugo, my dog? Oh, yeah. You, he ate the end of the book before you finished it. Yes, he ate, he ate, well, he ate, ate the whole book. Uh, and and uh, I, 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 so I got this from Liz, from Liz Nugent. I'm like, I've got this, uh, this, this book, uh, Skin Deep, and I've got you to sign it and to sign it to myself and Ava. And it was my pride and joy and I bought it home and I put it on the side and I said, look, kids, I said, you don't go near it. I said, you don't breathe on it. I said, it's Liz Nugent. And I said, you do not. I, I said, I'll be so annoyed. I said, that if you open the pages and, and you crease the pages, just, just leave the book where it is. And when I came <laughs> down the next morning, the dog had got up on the piano and it was in his mouth and he, was, he chewed it to bits. And I just kind of screamed in the living room. I was like, ah! Like that. And I posted a picture on Facebook and so many people were like, and blessed Liz contacted me. Do you remember? You, you sent me a DM and you said, I'm so sorry what Hugo did to, to, to the book. I'll send you out another one. Do you remember? And I said, oh, you don't need to do that. Honestly, no. And, and you, you were willing to sort of send me another one, another signed copy. That's how lucky you are. Did I send you one? You didn't, no, but I, I told you not to. I wouldn't give you <laughs> You, you I was going to say, this is a big hint. That you terrible. No, you no. You asked me, you asked me for my address to send it. And I said, no, 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 you're not sending me one. That's not fair. That's not fair. And I wouldn't give you my address. Well, okay. I, the, the, the thing is now, I only have one, I'm looking at my bookshelf, only have one copy of Skin Deep. Oh no, but that's that's how lovely you are. You DM me and you said you'd send me a signed copy, but I wouldn't give you my address because I said it wasn't fair. Well, you can DM me afterwards and give me your address. <laughs> did you get it in the end? Did you? I got did it you... on Kindle. I got it on Kindle. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you managed to finish it. reading it. Yeah, yeah, loved it, loved okay. it, loved it. Yeah. So, so what what does you your um, what does your writing process look like? Are you a planner or are you what we call a pantser. Yeah, I'm a, very much make it up as I go along. Start with a character, start with something big, some major event has just happened. And the character's reaction to that in the opening page tells you exactly who they are. So you know what you're dealing with from the first page. That's how I go on and then I gradually introduce other characters and then I have my main character do as much damage to everybody as possible <laughs> and, um, but I play out the consequences I you know I show the consequences of their actions for each of the their victims because you know I mean they're, they're not all murderers I mean they're not I don't think any anybody in any of the books sets out to murder somebody like it's it's all like spur of the moment violence none of them are serial killers um um it's you know they would say it was provocation you know 
but obviously I'm not condoning any of their actions, these characters' actions, but I want to get to the nub of why they did what they did. And some of why they did what they did can be traced back to their childhood and their upbringing. So yeah. I go quite deeply into the lives of these characters. I'm trying not to do that with the one I'm writing at the moment. I'm trying to space it over the course of about three years rather than an entire lifetime. Um, my question to you is, out of all the books you've written, what was the hardest chapter to finish and why? The hardest chapter to finish? I think it was in Unraveling Oliver, the first book, um, Moira. There's very few women in, in Unraveling Oliver. I, I think there's nine narrators and they each take it in turn to tell the story. And um, only two of them are women because I actually find men easier to write. But um, um, I think There's not much to us, that's the thing, not much to us. <laughs> well, you just say what you think yeah. and we don't. <laughs> we're, much more, <laughs> we're much more duplicitous. Um, so I think the second part of Moira's um, chapter was hard, hardest to write because I, I just felt I had made her too much of a caricature. So I needed to kind of give her some humanity. So because she had, she, she's, she's a kind of a, a comedy light relief character who pops up throughout the book and she she really is there for kind of a bit of light relief and you know a bit of a of levity in in the midst of all the darkness but um uh i she she she's 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 awful but she's hilarious but doesn't yeah. know she's hilarious so um yeah i i had to really think hard about her um and and make her less of a caricature and more of a real person. Yeah. So that she was the hardest. She was definitely the hardest. Gotcha. And what's your plans for the future, Liz? Um, the immediate future or future future? Oh, I've just signed a, a new deal. <laughs> I've just signed a new deal with Penguin for two more books. Oh, fantastic. Great. Thank you. And um, my uh, Little Cruelties, they call it Little Cruelties in America and Canada, has just been published there. So I'm doing lots of Zoom interviews and Instagram interviews almost every evening. Because oh, I thought we were an exclusive. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But they're all, on, they're all on American time, so they're all, uh, you know, quite late. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, I, I mean, the next thing, I, I had a play written that was supposed to go on in September 2021, but because of COVID, I don't know whether the theatres are actually going to survive. Yeah, it's very sad, And certainly if they do survive, they're going to want shows that are very cheap to put on with yeah. tiny casts so like one man shows are going to be making yeah. a big comeback when theatres eventually open mm -hmm. so um, yeah I think I think it'll be a long time before that gets put on 
and I had only written a first draft anyway. Um, get on, I suppose, to get on with the, the, the next book for my um, new contract. And um, yeah, uh, um, yeah, hopefully get out of Ireland sometime next year. Yeah, um, we all need a holiday, don't we? Yeah, I just, I, I really, you know, I, I really miss all of the festivals. Like, the, at the summer time here, there's, there's a literary festival uh, practically every weekend, if not every second weekend in Ireland during the summer. And I would always treat those as my summer holidays because you go and you get to meet your fellow writers mm. and readers, which I always find mm. really fun meeting readers. And um, um, like, because sometimes they can, you know, really have a go at you and tell you why they hated your book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's fair enough. You know, they, they don't, I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind it when, when people don't like my books, but I always want to know why, because mm. I think sometimes you can learn from criticism. Of course, of course. So, yeah. you know, you can take them to. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, spend, I, I like, I was, like, this is a terrible thing to say, but spend less time with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> We have been locked up together. I hope he hasn't watched this. No, I, I, I adore him. I genuinely adore him. He's just been, he's just been fantastic throughout this, and I've had a lot of bad health uh, issues, and like, I'm on one crutch at the moment, and I've been in and out of hospital, and I've dislocated my kneecap. Um, really bad happened a few weeks ago, last November and then again um, in September just yeah. gone by so I'm uh, he's been incredible like he's just he's been so good but I think he needs to see other people <laughs> 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 and not look after me so much <laughs> we've been quite lucky um, in a way that like being told to stay at home isn't such a hardship you yeah. know it's not like you're being told to go out and, and dig roads or you know go down a coal mine um we you know stay home and watching netflix is not it's not the worst thing that you can do i, I feel very sorry for families you know with small children in cramped apartments and you know who couldn't get out much during the extreme lockdown that yeah. we had in um <clears throat> but generally i have a garden um tiny now but it's a garden um i have a garden i have netflix i have a husband who um can do all the shopping i do a lot of the cooking but um <laughs> uh, i i can't uh physically because of the whole leg business i can't move around that much so um yeah well i i count myself lucky you know, I, I, you know, so many people have had to say, you know, I've had to, to um, have kind of socially distant funerals and not being able to say goodbye to their loved ones and, so you know, that horrific stuff or yeah. frontline workers who are, who are risking their lives every day um, yeah. to keep us safe and, you know, 
I think the applause has stopped for them. And uh, I think that's a shame because they are, they are continuing to risk their lives for us. Yeah. Um, so I think we have a lot to be grateful for. Yeah, we have absolutely. Definitely. And thank God with, with technology, with, with Zoom and with FaceTime and with WhatsApp video calling, we can keep in contact with your families. And, you know, like I speak to my mum and dad every evening on WhatsApp and they live in an Eastern Dollar Hill, North West London. And um, it's, it's just wonderful because you can, you, you like, it's like you're there. It's like we're in your living room now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Give, us a, give us a tour of that. I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's wonderful. And, and you can really just, um, you can imagine right back in, in the sort of world wars, World War One, World War Two, when they, I mean, my dad used to tell me that nobody would even have a wireless. They used to call it a wireless back then radio. And you'd be lucky in, in where he was born in Clara in Offaly. Um, you'd be lucky if you had a radio. Nobody knew what it was. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was no TV, there was no technology, no computers, no internet, mm. you know, and we, we, we are, we have a lot to be thankful for that we can sort of all keep chatting to each other and, and, and keep in touch. And that's something to be blessed for, isn't it? And considering we're not, a, it's not, I mean, it's pandemic and, but it's, it's not a war. Like we're not, we're not running out to bomb shelters and tube stations in the middle yeah. of the night with our, you know, all our belongings and Russians stuff like and that you know um as global catastrophes could go this isn't the worst one yeah and it could be a lot worse that's for sure mm. yeah absolutely so there well, Liz, we cannot thank you enough and and you're such a wonderful lady and you and you are so incredibly interesting to listen to we could just listen to you all night it's, it's just been uh, wonderful absolutely wonderful and you're such a charming lady. I mean, I remember, as I said, when I met you a couple of years ago and, and my daughter just spoke about you for days and days afterwards. And it was... Oh, that's yeah. a, that's she so did, sweet. honestly, she did. She did, honestly, she did. And, uh, she's such a lovely judge. Yeah, she's in, next door. she's in next door now asking me to order a curry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I will indeed. And keep safe, Liz, and have a, have a wonderful Christmas. And... Thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. And thank you, Chloe. And thank you, Zoe. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Oh, um, and uh, keep safe, Liz, and have a, have a good Christmas time, the best you can have. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. God bless. You. God bless. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.